Hi, everybody. I'm Sess Busby, editor of Flying Solo. Welcome to our weekly podcast where we step inside the minds and lives of soloists and small business owners. Today's guest is Margie Ireland. Margie is an executive coach and psychologist, and she absolutely loves what she does, which is encouraging people to be more resilient, confident, and reach their full potential. She joins me today to chat about her new book, Happy Healthy Leaders, and explains how purpose and passion go hand in hand with success, and why we all need to show a little more compassion. Hi, Maggie. Thanks for joining me today. It's great having you on the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. What would I like to talk to you about? Well, let's see. Let's start with the fact that you're an executive coach, a psychologist, a keynote speaker. I mean, you wear a lot of hats already. But now you've added another feather to your bow. You're a published author. So can you tell our readers a little bit about um, the book, The Happy Healthy Leader? And am I right in thinking it's a bit of a roadmap? for how to be clear about what you want and how to get it? Yeah, pretty much. Yes, it's, um, so over the last couple of years, um, you know, leaders have been faced with this sort of unrelenting pressure um, during the pandemic as they juggle you know, this sort of new economic and really psychological impact on themselves and their teams. And um I mean, I actually started writing the book before the pandemic because stress and leadership has been something I'm very interested in. So um, it was, I don't know if that's fortuitous or good timing, uh, uh, you know, at all, but um, it certainly felt that it was an important message to get out there. And so I've created, the book is really um, from my evidence-based coaching framework into a book um, because I was seeing leaders, particularly if they were stressed, getting some really good um, outcomes for themselves and their teams. Um, and so I've created a book that, yes, it's it's like a roadmap, um, although I use the metaphor of being on a boat, even though I don't know much about boats. Um, <laughs> and, um, and, I, and I confess that at the beginning of the book for any um, people that sail out there. Um so, but but kind of like a compass or a guide or a map to um, being happier and healthier as a leader because what I've found and the research suggests that if you are, um, then it's going to have a positive knock-on impact to your people. So you mentioned that you started writing it before the pandemic hit, but I think um, people were already feeling probably a bit overwhelmed and overworked even prior to COVID and now... I think it's a case of rather than thriving, people are just kind of surviving. Like that's that seems to be what's going on for a lot of people. So what what is it when you get into that headspace, it can be really difficult to switch off and get out of it. So how how can we change that mindset to one that's more about success and how can we build resilience? Big question. Really <laughs> Sorry. good question. Yeah, yeah. I know. It's, that's a really good question. And look, uh, I'm going to give you that also all full response. It depends. So I'll talk more broadly. And when I say depends, it depends on the person, the individual, you know, what they bring. A way of answering, I suppose, is when we come to work, um, particularly with technology now, um, you know, we're, we, there isn't that clear line between work and home anymore because we've got so much accessibility through our phones, etc. And so, um you know, it's it's being able to learn how to um, 
you know, manage that while you're at work. Um, but, you know, when I say what we bring, you know, your upbringing, um, how you've learnt to deal with stress um, and also partly, you know, your genetics, you know, that's what I mean by what you bring. Um, but from a mindset perspective, the more recent research that I came across, um, which I found really interesting, is it's not so much about changing your mindset. It's more noticing where you are and rather than struggle and be so critical of yourself, rather to have, and this is that really sticky word, have some compassion um, towards your experience because um, Brene Brown, who a lot of people have heard of, recently said in an interview I heard that there's absolutely no evidence that suggests that being hard on yourself actually makes you more effective as a person. <laughs> Why would it really? <laughs> that seems ludicrous. <laughs> but, you know, we do it all the time. You know, I think it's because it's somewhere along the line we were taught that, well, if you're easy on yourself, then you're not going to be work as hard or uh, you're not going to do as well. And, I mean, if I said to you, you know, if you, said, if you said to me or if I said to you, you know, I'm struggling, I'm not coping, I mean, you know, what, what would your response be to that? Well, I guess I would want to try and identify what it was that was causing you to feel that way rather than just, you know, try and give you some kind of placebo. Oh, it's going to be okay. Don't worry about it. It's more about trying to understand what is making you feel like you can't cope, what, what's in your control that you can change like in that as well. I guess for, that's what I would think. <laughs> I'm no psychologist. Yeah, and I'm putting you on the spot a bit. But, I mean, you know, that that's compassion because you're trying to understand my experience and show some kindness. But, you know, and I'm not going to put you on the spot, but, you know, most people I find that when, when they're not coping, rather than say that to themselves, they say things like, you're not good enough or you should be able to cope with this or what's wrong with you? You know, there are lots of people out there that are worse off than you. You should be able to deal with it. Yeah, that's a, that's kind of also a uniquely Australian thing as well, that, that sort of toughen up, mate, <laughs> that kind of. <laughs> well, I mean, that's what we call it, but it's the same in a lot of um, particularly Western cultures um, that we tend to, you know, be quite negative um, and critical of ourselves rather than kind to ourselves when we're going through a tough time. Mm. We shouldn't be, should we? Not that, not that I should be saying shoulds about anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if it helps. But what I found was, you know, in helping, you know, leaders, which is where I work, help them, you know, recognise um, what they could do in difficult situations um, and to have more of a friend show up in their head um, seemed to be more helpful. Mm. So that's a kind of a very simple strategy that you could put into place to help you feel kind of in a happier, healthier space, whether it's a problem at home or a problem at work. Yeah, you know, a bit like what I just did with you. Imagine your best friend or someone you care about in front of you. You know, what would they say to you at the moment instead of perhaps what you'd say to yourself? Yeah. <laughs> Toughen up. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
you know, and then saying that some people might say that to you as well. Um, but you know, I'm thinking more the the the, the kind friends, <laughs> you know, that you'd go to when you want you know something you know kind to be said to yourself. So yeah. <laughs> Yes, choose the right friend in your head. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. So how can we, um, when we're talking about success as well as as a leader or as a business owner, how could we identify the kind of roadblocks that might be stopping us from getting the success that we want? One of Okay, so a really good thing to do is to first identify there's a roadblock because even what you're saying is I see a lot of leaders you know, sometimes they want to ignore the roadblock or pretend it's not there. You know, the first step is, you know, awareness, you know, that this is a problem for me, um, whatever it is. And and to notice when, you know, your reactions to it are, you know, perhaps becoming a bit, you know, negative. And, and this is where I talk in the book a lot about the flight, fright, fight brain, you know, and a lot of people have heard of that term, you know, what we do when we're faced with a challenge. And, you know, we're, we're transported back millions of years ago, you know, walking across the savannah looking for food and suddenly, you know, we see dinner and just as we see dinner, big scary lion to our right sees us as dinner. <laughs> and um, if you are to hook up that prehistoric um, person's brain to an MRI machine, what you'd see is a part of their brain called the amygdala all lit up. And all it sees is the lion. Do I fight the lion? Do I run from the lion? Or do I stand still and hope the lion doesn't see me? Um, and so in 2022, um, your lion might be COVID. It might be um, not delivering on outcomes. It might be not making money. It might be financial pressure. It might be your ex, your kids, you know, all sorts of things. And even though we've learned a lot about the brain, um, we still are working with this prehistoric structure that responds in this way. And so um, if you can identify the blocks, whatever your, in the example I'm giving your lion is, then it's looking at going, well, is it really a lion? <laughs> is it, you know, as bad as how I'm perceiving it? Do I just need to take a breath? Do I need to just stand back for a moment? Um, do I need to, that old saying, sleep on it and wait till I'm in a calmer mindset before I deal with that problem or block? Yeah, so get a homo sapien involved instead of the Neanderthal. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that's a good way of putting it. <laughs> so if we've identified roadblocks that, um, you know, we might have ourselves, what about um, people around us? Could there be... Could it not be our roadblock? Could it be someone else, like a team member or someone else that's causing these roadblocks? What what would be some ways to identify something that might, you know, well, that's a red flag, look out? <laughs> Is it the person criticising you all the time? What What should we look out for? And how can we kind of control that element when it's out of our control? Well, a lot of those things are. A, a tool that I um, I came across about oh, 10 years ago now um, that I've actually gotten the permission of the creator, um, a guy called Dr. Kevin Pope called The Matrix, and it's a really easy tool to help you recognise what you do have in control and what you don't. And one of the things that we don't have control of is other people. Um, 
you know, is a team member that's behaving badly. Um, you know, pandemics we don't have control over, weather, you know, all those things that we've been experiencing, particularly in Australia recently. And so, you know, it's that old saying, control the controllables. What we do have control over is our reactions to those situations, how we respond. And so when you're dealing with, um, and, you know, I talk about this in book, particularly difficult people, is you can't really make them do anything. But what you can do is decide, well, am I going to respond to that experience? Um, and like I was talking about before, be really negative about ourselves and our inability to manage that person. Or are we going to be a bit more compassionate to ourselves? And by doing that, sometimes what happens is then we can be more compassionate towards them so that we can see perhaps what's really going on for them. Yeah, put yourself in the other person's shoes for a minute. Yeah, yeah. And look, when I use that, I'm really mindful of when I use that word compassion, there's a lot of people that are going, oh, you know, that the, I don't need to do that. Gag. Uh, um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um you know, even the most toughest of leaders that I've worked with who've gone, oh, that's not the solution, have found that um, um, showing that that towards other people, which leads to this other idea of curiosity, you know, like being curious about situations that cause you a lot of stress. Um, because when we get curious, your brain can't then be reactive. They kind of can't work together. Um, yeah, and curiosity turns on the part of your brain, um, which is your, you know, in the frontal, in your prefrontal cortex, which is your logical brain. Um, it sort of sits behind your forehead. That's where we make good decisions from. It's where we organize, plan things, and it's also where empathy sits. And so, when someone, um, and I often do this when I'm coaching people, is when someone's saying to something to you that you, you're just sort of thinking, what, what was that? Um, I, 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 you know, I say to them, well, instead, why don't you say to them, that's interesting. <laughs> um, even if you're, even if you're sitting there going, I don't understand this, <laughs> or you're like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, it might be, that's interesting, tell me more. And what that does is by that statement, it's actually taking you out of that amygdala, that reactive brain I was talking about earlier, up to this more logical part of your brain. And, and therefore, you're able to be less reactive to that person and situation and be a lot more logical. And, and what I'm describing there is a term that a lot of people are familiar with, which is um, emotional intelligence. That's kind of an example of that. Yeah, so even if you are dealing with uh, someone who's really difficult, it gives you the confidence to respond in a way that, that, that some challenges kind of your behaviour and their behaviour without offending anyone. <laughs> yeah, and look, you know, that uh, confidence is a really good point because, you know, that take that might take some time to do that technique. You know, it's not something that perhaps would come naturally for a lot of people. But like anything, the more you practice something, the more confident you do become in doing it. And what about when you're um, you're working with a team and everyone's remote? I've, I've heard a lot of people have been feeling very challenged by not just the isolation that they have 
when suddenly thrust into this work from home situation, but also for uh, leaders in managing their teams, like they don't want to be, you know, like the nanny state constantly <laughs> looking over someone's shoulders. But then there's also this like, oh. how do I know they're doing their work? <laughs> so what what would you suggest for s- someone in that situation? Oh, yeah, I completely get that. Um, and look, you know, I, I think this is one of the biggest challenges leaders have had to go through over the last couple of years. Um, and, you know, there's, there's, there's varying points of view on this, but in, in the conversations I've had over the, perhaps the last 12 months is what they've noticed is that by trusting their people that they are doing their job, that they are getting better performance out of them because they don't feel like they're being watched over. People are feeling like they're, you know, when someone feels trusted, often they feel they do need to deliver. Yeah. And I, I was talking to someone recently. I said, you know, I'm, I'm. When I was at work, I used to hate, you know, the fact that, you know, there was this constant sort of, you know, almost clock watching, and it was almost like this not rebellion, but this kind of pressure. But now at home, it's like, well, you know, I, 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 I do it because I want to do it, not because I feel like I'm being watched. Yeah. Is it also about having a shared purpose, like aligning your purpose with your team's purpose, with the purpose of, you know, the business? Is Does that play a part? Absolutely. And what leaders have had to do with remote workforces is, you know, they've had to make, perhaps communicate that even more regularly. And, you know, yes, we've all had to ad- adapt to Zoom, team meetings, all the different platforms out there. We've had some pretty funny um wins and losers with that that have been shared on social media um so you know but being able to you know get teams together that way and communicate you know um this is where we're going it's uncharted territories for some of us but yes you know what's what you know what 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 do you want to get out of it and I think it's it's opened up more conversations around purpose because I think it was assumed perhaps when we were working in offices that we knew what that was. Yeah. And I think what it's identified, you know, this this change of working environment is that, um, you know, we do need to communicate more often and more regularly um, and that's actually helping teams be more engaged. And we spoke a little bit earlier about, you know, sometimes the people feeling overwhelmed and a bit overworked and the need to be able to disconnect. And I think, in fact, um, Finland maybe even put a bill to parliament about people should be allowed to clock off and not have to answer work emails after hours. Um, What kind of things would you say people should put into place to have healthy boundaries around their work because that is not just for, you know, the employee or the business owner or the the, the leader. It's kind of everyone. Everyone needs to have a healthy boundary around their work. Like your whole life shouldn't be work, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Look, uh, we were sort of before we started, I was talking about my notifications. So I turned off um, notifications on my laptop and my phone um, so that I'm not constantly being pinged, um, you know, and drawn into, you know, looking at my phone or my laptop. Leaders probably need to, in a way, lead uh, by example, which is 
you know, if a leader sends an email after hours, employees often feel pressure to respond. And so, um, you know, I've seen a lot of leaders stop doing that. Um, <laughs> I have seen some of them set their emails to all go out first thing on Monday morning, but, you know, at least it's not over the weekend. Um, and so leaders, if they can do that more often, it'll, it, it, it enables their team to do the same. I had this really um, fun practice I have with families where, um, you know, they've got this no tech time when they get home and so for two hours they put all their, their phones and everything into a, a bin somewhere that's not in eye shot um, for an hour or two hours and, you know, everyone gets to sort of be with each other without that distraction. And a big thing I'm, fan, I'm a big supporter and fan of um, is mindfulness that would be a whole other interview. But one of the things I love seeing families do is to sit down, have dinner at a dinner table and eat dinner, you know, and talking and really being in the moment of the dinner, really noticing your food, taking it all in without that distraction of TV, computer, etc. That can create a really healthy boundary at home and it's a really good example for your kids as well if you have children. Well, not to brag, but we don't have devices at dinner. <laughs> Good. Excellent. <laughs> you can brag about that. <laughs> we also um, do uh, three things you're grateful for because oh, I think yes. that's important as well. Yeah. 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 So we go around the table. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. I wouldn't mind uh, touching a bit more on that resiliency and mindfulness because I think it's an important conversation at the moment, especially given how stressed people are still feeling as the pandemic continues. What would be your kind of top tips for people who might be feeling overwhelmed to get into a better headspace? When it comes to um, mindfulness, um, and you know, some people know a lot about it, some people have maybe never heard of it. Um, the reason I recommend mindfulness is it's free um, mostly. Um, there are lots of apps out there, and there's now about 40 years of research and science behind how it helps people be more resilient and be able to deal with stress more effectively. There's lots of other research that helps people with anxiety, depression, and all sorts of other mental health challenges. I always find mindfulness um, hard to explain, but in, in, in simple terms, it's that ability to notice when your mind has gone into worry, has gone into past worry, future worry, and to bring yourself back into the current moment um, and what you're doing now. And as simple, well, I don't know if that's simple, but as simple as that may seem, the actual regular practice of it um, has shown that people are able to um, pull themselves out of stress uh, faster. Hmm. I think uh, what you touched on there, the, um, not the worries of the yesteryear and the worries of the future and the worries all going on now, like... People often have difficulty, it seems, in just being present in the moment. I don't know what your tip would be to help them kind of focus on the now instead of going, oh, no, woe is me. What what kind of thoughts you might have around that? Yeah, well, um, 
one of the um, so one is to you know go and get you know Google one of those free apps and start practicing that every day um, for five or ten minutes. That will certainly help because over time you start to be able to almost do it yourself in the moment, which is basically taking you know a few slow deep breaths noticing that your mind has started to go into worry, whether it's about the past or the future, um, because you can't do anything about what's happened in the past. It's happened. And who knows what's going to happen in the future? You know, that, that saying, it may never happen. <laughs> um, we can spend a lot of time worrying about something that never does deliver. So even just um, noticing, but one of my favorite techniques is, and it's a really simple one, is five senses. And what that is, is um, what can you see? What can you hear? What can you feel? What can you touch? What can you no, feel, hear, see, say, touch, um, taste? And so it's turning on all those five senses because what they do is they bring you into the current moment. And sometimes all you need to do is pick one. Uh, I've got one client who just focuses on smell. So whenever he notices himself drifting off into worry, he goes, okay, what can I smell? What can I smell? What can I smell? What can I smell? And it might be something unpleasant. <laughs> it might be something nice, but it bring, it grounds him into now. Mm. So see, hear, smell, touch, taste, and hopefully that brings you back to the moment. Yeah, really simple one. Yeah. Yeah, good advice. So... <laughs> I think I might have to leave it now because we've been chatting for a little while, but I'm really so happy to have had a talk with you today and best of luck with the book. I'm sure it will go really well. And thank you. If anyone needs any psychological advice, can they head to your web, your website? Yes. Yeah. If they want some um, ideas, I've got lots of free resources there for leaders and stress and workplaces. So yeah, lots of good stuff there that people can access. Awesome. Thank you so much for chatting to me today, Margie. It's been lovely talking to you. Thanks. It's been a pleasure.